What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a new series on the book of Revelation. Now, you might be asking yourself, why would we look at this book? For some, Revelation is nothing more than stories meant to scare us straight into following God. If you're good, heaven. If not, torture and terrible things in hell. But scare tactics is hardly what this book is about. You might think about some of the bizarre things described, a dragon, a a beast with horns coming out of the water, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These all might seem like stories or ideas too difficult to understand. Add to that the wild interpretations people make about this book, and it could feel all quite useless. What's the point of studying this, you might ask? A few weeks ago, I invited people to offer their sermon suggestions for the next year of sermons, and many of you had wonderful suggestions. I look forward to a chance to preach on most of the topics you suggested, but a few of you took the opportunity to offer some opinions instead of sermon suggestions. That's all right. I I don't mind. Uh, My favorite was the person who said, make sure you keep politics out of your sermons. They affirmed that I was doing this, and, and in many ways... I agree with the suggestion. Politics aren't really what we are about here. We are about Jesus Christ. But doesn't following Jesus inevitably connect with our politics? When I choose to follow Jesus Christ and not a donkey or an elephant, that is an inherently political act, isn't it? And the book of Revelation is filled with a call not to politics, not to power, but to Jesus Christ alone. I'll say more on this in a moment, but now let's hear our scripture from Noel. This is just after the start of the book, where John has just said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So, Noel is going to be blessed by this, and so are we. Its, it's meaning may not be immediately clear to us, but when we focus on Jesus, we'll see the blessing God has for us. Let's hear now the book of Revelation to John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was was on an island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of, of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet saying, write a book, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like a burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. 
and his face was like the sun, the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I'm alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write of what you have seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts as we explore this difficult book of Revelation Reveal in us your will. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we don't require a certain set of political beliefs in this church. That may come as a surprise to some people. Some are absolutely convinced one side or the other is right, and there is no in-between. In the book to... To John, this revelation, there are many mysteries, but some of them are immediately cleared up if we understand the context of the times. If you know the situation John was in, you'll know right away what some of the things he describes in his dreams and prophecies mean. So here's a, a quick history. Nero was emperor of Rome at just 16 years old, and though he was popular in his early years with advice from the philosopher Seneca, he later slipped into tyrannical rule. It was basically Game of Thrones, and he became most known for burning Christians alive after blaming them for a massive fire that burned much of Rome. Evidence points to Nero starting the fire himself for his own personal gain, taxes were raised, and eventually people were so fed up with him, there was a rebellion. After defeat, he was killed, and four different people claimed the throne of Rome within one calendar year. You can imagine the political chaos that would have come from such rapid changes. Over in Asia Minor, the Christian church was growing with the Apostle Paul living in Ephesus for several years. It was an important city with the world's largest amphitheater and a temple that was one of the ancient wonders of the world. As Christianity grew, it came in direct conflict with the empire. Uh, after the civil wars and four different emperors in one year, the cult of the emperor became really, really strong. Emperors claimed divine status and required people to refer to them as our Lord and God. I'm sure you can guess how Christians felt about that. Now, Jewish people were exempted from this confession. The empire knew overwhelmingly Jewish people would rather die than proclaim the emperor as God. And for a while, Christians were considered as part of the Jewish exemption. 
But when it became more and more clear that these two religions were different, divided over Jesus, things changed. Christians were called unpatriotic, subversive enemies of the common good. They were persecuted for their faith, either being harassed, boycotted, assaulted, arrested, or even lynched. Are you seeing how this might apply to us today? In a day where politics divides this nation, where people are abandoning Christian practices in favor of owning the opposition or forcing political solutions on an unwilling population, we need the book of Revelation. We need the answers of a book that provides a big picture that draws us back to our faith. This is good versus evil. This is life versus death. But the enemy is not your neighbor. It is not your political opponent. The evil empire are those who stand against God. And John's revelation says when Jesus comes again, the kingdom of God will be established to the end of time. This is the hope we lean on when things are impossibly difficult in this world. We need this revelation today. I must admit, though, I have not always been a fan of the book of Revelation. When I was little, it mostly scared me. I was raised to believe that the end of time was very near. I remember praying to God to hold off on returning until at least I turned 19 years old. I wanted to live to adulthood before Jesus came back. Then I found out that my grandfather on my dad's side had actually predicted the return of Jesus. He picked 1981 as the year that the Lord would descend from the clouds, but instead all he got was me. That was the year I was born, and before the year was over, he would have a heart attack and die. He, he certainly met the Lord, but in a completely different way from what he was expecting. Hearing that story... And then prediction after prediction of other popular preachers over decades saying the same thing. I grew a little skeptical. Maybe all these people predicting his return were doing something wrong. In fact, Jesus himself says, No man, not even the angels of heaven, know the day or hour of his return. We are getting it all wrong. Clearly, we should be asking women. Now, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but there are a lot of people who believe we are living in the end times. A recent survey said about 40% of Americans think this is the end. It's very near. And if you think the world is going to end very soon, it's going to change your thoughts on a lot of things. Taking care of the environment, immigration, even nuclear war may seem inevitable. So why fight it? That's what makes understanding this book so important. If you can get a handle on what these stories and images really mean, we can change not only how the church thinks and acts, we can change our friends and neighbors and eventually the whole world. This is not a book to be scared of. It is a book that, when we understand it the right way, will help us truly live. So let's dive in. The writer in John uh, is named John, and he tells us he is on the island of Patmos. It's a small island off the coast of modern-day Turkey, and the Roman Empire used islands like this as a place for political banishment. If you believe the wrong thing, if you resisted the lordship of the emperor, you could be put in exile. So it's likely that John is there in exile. He's not isolated by himself. 
There's a temple and gymnasium. Sailors would come and go, but John had to stay. The one thing he could do, though, was write. So he shares this first vision to Ephesus and to six other churches. We'll hear more about them next week. But this vision is all about Jesus. The long robe and golden sash is worn by one like the Son of Man. He has white hair, not because he's old, but because he has dignity with age and is the ancient of days. Other verses on bronze feet and descriptions of Jesus as the high priest come from the book of Daniel. This Son of Man is a description of the risen Jesus as the greatest conceivable figure using all biblical imagery. In fact, 278 of a total 404 verses in Revelation use Old Testament images. You've got to know the Old Testament to understand what's happening in this book. And already we've come across a bunch of these images. Then there's the sword, which is the Messiah's judgment, and the seven stars are a bit of a mystery here. Jesus says, quote, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, but that word angel literally means messenger. Sometimes it's translated angel, and sometimes it's translated as the pastors over the churches who bring God's message to the local church. So it's an open question what John is referring to. This might be mystical, or it might be very ordinary. But there is a much bigger point that can get lost in all of this flowery language. We can get so caught up trying to understand each individual image that we aren't sure what it all means. John is reminding us that in the midst of these trials of a church being persecuted, of people being banished, or should I say canceled by culture, you are not alone. Jesus has not abandoned you. Jesus may have been taken to heaven, but in a very real way, Jesus is right here with you. The story of the book of Revelation may seem scary, may even seem bizarre, but at its heart, this is a story about the real presence of Jesus. In the first verse of the book of the Revelation, it says that it is a revelation of Jesus to show his servants what must soon take place. Sometimes we pick up on that must part and assume all of what is being described is a direct retelling of a specific vision from God. It's inevitable, we think. It's from God, so it has to happen this way. But that's not at all how biblical writers would have understood it. We often drift into reading fate into this situation. Fate means a predetermined path, often before our birth. It is inescapable, and so our best option is to simply accept what must happen. That is never a biblical view. In fact, the whole point of the Christian faith is that we can break free from our fate. Humans will do bad things. We are going to sin. People are going to be selfish and do the thing that benefits themselves. And yet, the promise of the scriptures is that God breaks us free from that kind of fate. We can overcome our broken, sinful nature, not by force of will, not by a better diet or exercise or reading the right books. It happens through the power and presence of Jesus Christ. 
There is no fate around what happens in this world, except that when you place your trust in Jesus, you will be saved. That's the promise. And that's the first thing John reveals to us in the beginning of his vision. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. The whole world is in his hands. Even the keys of death and Hades are in his hands. You might be beat up by this world. You might be persecuted and ridiculed by friends and neighbors, co-workers or classmates. You might even be put to death for the things you believe or the people you help. But Jesus frees us even from death. Can I get an amen? Well, there's a few amens. I like that. What a powerful message this is for us here today. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to resign ourselves to fate. We are free in Jesus Christ today. A few years ago, there was a man who had really messed up his life. His name was Devin, and he was from Chicago. But after hitting his lowest point in a life of drugs and violence, he joined the Emmaus Ministries. They helped him get off the street, stop drinking, and get a job to improve his life. But about a year into this process, he had to go before a judge for a crime he had committed before joining Emmaus Ministries. Two of the workers drove him to the court appointment where the lawyers presented his case. Uh, in the end, the judge asked Devin a bunch of questions, especially, how are you going to keep this from happening again? And then she asked him, and by the way, how did you get here to the court this morning? Devin turned around and he pointed to the two workers from Emmaus Ministries. They were the only two people in the whole place. And the judge had her answer. It's not fate that keeps Devin down or prevents bad things from happening to him. It's the presence of loving, caring people who are faithful to Jesus Christ. And they keep pointing him over and over to Jesus' love. That's how you're going to overcome the challenges you face in life. It's not fate or will. It's Jesus at work through each of us who chooses to do God's will in this world. I see it in the people in this church. We are busy preparing for Vacation Bible School, and the volunteers will touch young lives with God's good news. I see it in the congregational care team that meets with the sick and the homebound Holding someone's hand who is going through a lonely, bitter day can change the world around you. I think of a couple of weeks ago when I was on vacation, the guest preacher here mentioned a story about her son having cancer. And wouldn't you know, someone in our church had just had a grandchild diagnosed with cancer. The two of them met in a room together after church and prayed together, and it made all the difference in the world. Jesus is here even when I'm not, even when the pastor's away, how about that? Jesus has not abandoned you. He is right here with you. And no matter what you face, the power is ultimately his. Kings and queens, politicians and lawyers and the wealthy think they have all the power, but they don't. The real power is found in Jesus. That's our starting point in the book of Revelation. Let's end our first step in this journey with this. Uh, Donald Miller gave a lecture at a Christian college, and he told them he was going to present the gospel but would leave out one key part of the story. 
He began by telling them about all the headline-grabbing stories of drugs and scandal, about the dismal statistics of teen pregnancy and the decline in our health. He told them that sin leads to a separation from God and that there is a, a beauty in morality. When we live a righteous life, living is better. He even told them how good life in heaven would be, and if we would simply repent, we would live a God-honoring and God-centered life. As he finished his lecture, he asked them what important point he had left out. No one raised their hand. He had presented a gospel message to Christian Bible college students, and he left out Jesus, and nobody noticed. In the book of the Revelation to John, we are reminded that Jesus is essential. Jesus is the reason life can be different for us, because he is present. He is with us in every situation, and he holds the keys of death to free us from imprisonment there. You can find life when you give it all over to Jesus Christ, because he is the first and the last. He was dead, and see, he is alive forevermore. It is hope to inspire us, to move us, and to place our very life in his hands, no matter what we may face in this world. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.